0: chapter twenty one of the mutiny of the elsinore this librivox recording is in the public domain the mutiny of the elsinore by jack london chapter twenty one to-day twenty-eight days out in the early morning while i was drinking my coffee still carrying the northeast trade we crossed the line and charles davis signalized the event by murdering o'sullivan it was boney the lanky splinter of a youth in mr mellaire's watch who brought the news the second mate and i had just arrived in the hospital room when mr pike entered o'sullivan's troubles were over the man in the upper bunk had completed the mad sad span of his life with the marlin spike i cannot understand this charles davis He sat up calmly in his bunk and calmly lighted his pipe ere he replied to Mr. Mellaire. He certainly is not insane, yet deliberately, in cold blood, he has murdered a helpless man. "'What'd you do it for?' Mr. Mellaire demanded. "'Because, sir,' said Charles Davis, applying the second match to his pipe, "'because,' puff-puff, he bothered my sleep. Here he caught Mr Pike's glowering eye. Because, puff puff, he annoyed me. The next time, puff puff, I hope better judgment will be shown in what kind of man is put in with me. Besides, puff puff, this top bunk ain't no place for me. It hurts me to get into it, puff puff, and I'm going back to that lower bunk as soon as you get ol Sullivan out of it. But what'd you do it for? Mr Pike snarled i told you sir because he annoyed me i got tired of it and so this morning i just put him out of his misery and what are you going to do about it the man's dead ain't he and i killed him in self-defense i know the law what right do you have to put a raven lunatic in with me and me sick and helpless by god davis the mate burst forth you'll never draw your payday in seattle I'll fix you out for this, killing a crazy lash down in his bunk and harmless. You'll follow him overside, my hearty.' "'If I do, you'll hang for it, sir,' Davis retorted. He turned his cool eyes on me. And I call on you, sir, to witness the threats he's made. And you'll testify to them, too, in court. And he'll hang as sure as I go over the side. Oh, I know his record he's afraid to face a court with it he's been up too many a time with charges of man killing and brutality on the high seas and a man could retire for life and live off the interest of the fines he's paid or his owners paid for him shut your mouth or i'll knock it out of your face mr pike roared springing toward him with clenched upraised fist davis involuntarily shrank away his flesh was weak but not so his spirit he got himself promptly in hand and struck another match. "'You can't get my goat, sir,' he sneered, under the shadow of the impending blow. "'I ain't scared to die. A man's got to die once anyway, and it's none so hard a trick to do when you can't help it. O'Sullivan died so easy it was amazing. Besides, I ain't goin' to die. I'm going to finish this voyage and sue the owners when I get to Seattle. I know my rights in the law.' and i've got witnesses truly i was divided between admiration for the courage of this wretched sailor and sympathy for mr pike thus bearded by a sick man he could not bring himself to strike nevertheless he sprang upon the man with calculated fury gripped him between the base of the neck and the shoulders with both gnarled paws and shook him back and forth violently and frightfully for a full minute it was a wonder the man's neck was not dislocated i call on you to witness sir davis gasped at me the instant he was free he coughed and strangled felt his throat and made wry neck movements indicative of injury the marks'll begin to show in a few minutes he murmured complacently as his dizziness left him and his breath came back this was too much for Mr. Pike, who turned and left the room, growling and cursing incoherently deep in his throat. When I made my departure, a moment later, Davis was refilling his pipe and telling Mr. Mellaire that he'd have him up for a witness in Seattle. So we have had another burial at sea. Mr. Pike was vexed by it because the Elsinore— according to sea tradition was going too fast through the water for a proper ceremony thus a few minutes of the voyage were lost by backing the elsinore's top mainsail and deadening her way while the service was read and o'sullivan was slid overboard with the inevitable sack of coal at his feet hope the coal holds out mr pike grumbled morosely at me five minutes later and we sit on the poop miss west and i tended on by servants sipping afternoon tea sewing fancy work discussing philosophy and art while a few feet away from us on this tiny floating world all the grimy sordid tragedy of sordid malformed brutish life plays itself out and captain west remote untroubled sits dreaming in the twilight cabin while the draught of wind from the crow jack blows upon him through the open ports he has no doubts no worries he believes in god all is settled and clear and well as he nears his far home his serenity is vast and enviable but i cannot shake from my eyes that vision of him when life forsook his veins and his mouth slacked and his eyelids closed while his face took on the white transparency of death i wonder who will be the next to finish the game and depart with a sack of coal oh this is nothing sir mr mellaire remarked to me cheerfully as we strolled the poop during the first watch i was once on a voyage on a tramp steamer loaded with four hundred chinks i beg your pardon sir chinese they were coolies, contract laborers, coming back from serving their time, and the cholera broke out. We hove over three hundred of them overboard, Sir, along with both Bo'sums, most of the Lascar crew, and the captain, the mate, the third mate, and the first and third engineers. The second and one white oiler was all that was left below, and I was in command on deck when we made port. The doctors wouldn't come aboard they made me anchor in the outer roads and told me to heave out my dead there was some tall bearing about that time mr pathurst and they went overboard without canvas coal or iron they had to i had nobody to help me and the chinks below wouldn't lift a hand i had to go down myself drag the bodies on to the slings then climb on deck and heave them up with the donkey and each trip i took a drink i was pretty drunk when the job was done and you never caught it yourself i queried mr mellaire held up his left hand i had often noted that the index finger was missing that's all that happened to me sir the old man had had a fox terrier like yours and after the old man passed out puppy got real chummy with me just as i was making the hoist of the last sling-load what does the puppy do but jump on my leg and sniff my hand i turned to pat him and the next i knew my other hand had slipped into the gears and that finger wasn't there any more heavens i cried what abominable luck to come through such a terrible experience like that and then lose your finger that's what i thought sir mr mellaire agreed what did you do i asked Oh, just held it up and looked at it and said, my goodness gracious, and took another drink. And you didn't get the cholera afterwards? No, sir. I reckon I was so full of alcohol the germs dropped dead before they could get to me. He considered a moment. Candidly, Mr. Pathurst, I don't know about that alcohol theory. The old man and the mates died drunk, and so did the third engineer. But the chief was a teetotaler, and he died too. Never again shall I wonder that the sea is hard. I walked apart from the second mate, and stared up at the magnificent fabric of the Elsinore, sweeping and swaying great blotting curves of darkness across the face of the starry sky. End of chapter 21